This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. I was holding the package in my hands, the unexpected package with my name on it. I knew that handwriting, that handwriting that was scrawled across the front of the package, it belonged to one of my best friends. So puzzled, I opened up the seal and discovered that she had sent me a coronavirus care package. Among the things that she sent, there was candy, there was a kind note, and there was a two-minute sand timer. And attached to the sand timer was a note, permission to do nothing but breathe for two minutes. Permission to do nothing but breathe. Permission to simply be. Permission to not try and solve all the problems or worry into the wee hours of the morning about what could be. Permission to not spend every moment of every day being productive so that I can feel like I'm mastering this crisis. Permission to do nothing but breathe. And somehow this felt very hard to do. When the disciples gathered together on that first Easter evening, I can guess how hard it was for them to simply breathe. Can you imagine the anxiety they were living with? Their leader had just been executed as a criminal and they were sure that they were next. But then that morning, Mary Magdalene had came and told them the tomb was empty and she had seen Jesus alive. So they called a secret meeting behind closed doors, behind the locked doors where they had been living since Jesus's capture. Since that awful moment of Jesus's arrest when they were sure that their death was imminent, where they ran and hid, they locked themselves into their homes and began to practice social distancing. They distanced themselves from others who might betray them, from a world that killed their beloved rabbi. And they tried to distance themselves from their own failure to protect him, to stand by him, from their failure to follow him to the cross. So on that first Easter night, they gathered behind locked doors to process, to discuss, to argue, to figure out what is real and what is not and what in the world they should be doing next. Gosh, I can picture the tension in that room, the anxiety, the blame, the shame, the grief, the fear. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine how doubt and hope mingled together in a dangerous concoction to create a nervous energy that would have made it hard to breathe? Some of us may have firsthand experience of such a room. Maybe it was our living room just Tuesday when tensions were high because we can't leave our house and we just need some space from those we love. 
Maybe it was our dining room late Wednesday night when we were pouring over our finances, trying to figure out how to get through these difficult weeks. Maybe it was our boardroom on Friday morning when we had to make difficult decisions with our colleagues. Maybe it was our lonely house on Saturday night when we were wrestling with memories or griefs or insecurities and nobody could be there to help. Indeed, many of us have recent experience with the room the disciples inhabited on Easter Sunday. Many of us can identify with their anxiety and shame and grief and fear and breathlessness. And that's why today's scripture story offers such good news for us today. Because it was into that room, that room full of tension and despair, that Jesus appeared. The story is told in John chapter 20, and it begins like this. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. One second, it was just an ordinary room full of ordinary people. And the next second, the resurrected Jesus was standing there. He just appeared out of thin air like a ghost, only he was very real. He was really there. He wasn't a ghost at all. And he said, peace be with you. And he showed them his wounds as if to say, it's really me. I'm really alive in spite of all that happened. I'm really here. Then the disciples rejoiced. Their friend, their rabbi, their leader, the one in whom they'd placed all their hope, he was indeed alive. It's interesting to me that Jesus' first words to his fearful, anxious, confused, and socially distanced disciples was peace be with you. Peace be with you. It reminded me of my friend's message on that sand timer note, permission to do nothing but breathe. Permission to rest in the peace of the Lord, the peace which passes all understanding. This isn't the first time Jesus offered peace to his disciples. Just a few chapters earlier, which only happened to be a few days earlier, Jesus was preparing his disciples for his impending death, and he told them, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Oftentimes we think of peace as the absence of suffering or violence. We can have peace, we think, when all is well. But Jesus invites us to think about peace differently. The peace he gives to us in this life 
is not necessarily connected to the absence of suffering or hardship. Christ's peace transcends suffering or hardship. It's the ability to breathe when everything is going wrong. It's a deep trust that all will be well when nothing is right. The peace of Christ is the sense that we can weather the storm because God is at our side. Peace be with you, Jesus told those socially distanced, fearful, confused disciples. My peace I give to you, he said, my presence, my hope, my assurance that you are not alone. This is what I proclaim over you today. And Jesus didn't just proclaim peace once to his disciples that night. He proclaimed it twice. The story continues in John 20. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. This is one of the most powerful moments in scripture. Because this moment is the turning point in the life of the disciples. This is the moment Jesus has been preparing them for, for his entire ministry. This is the moment when the disciples are changed from fearful, bumbling men into the bold, purpose-filled apostles who are responsible for beginning the Christian movement. This movement this moment defines not only their lives, but the trajectory of the history of the world. As the Father has sent me, so I send you, Jesus said. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Do you hear what Jesus is saying to them. He's saying, God the Father sent me to live among you for a purpose, for a mission. And just as I was sent to fulfill this mission, so now I am sending you. Jesus is putting his mission in the hands of his disciples. He is passing the baton. He is laying the mantle of responsibility on their shoulders. And by extension, he is giving it to us. Which means everything Jesus was sent to do is now our responsibility to carry it forward. I'm reminded of his first sermon that Jesus gave in the Gospel of Luke. He went to the temple in his hometown and standing before the crowd, he read to them from these lines of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Luke tells us that after Jesus read these lines from Isaiah, he simply stopped reading. He looked out over the gathered crowd and he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture 
has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was saying then that he was the Messiah they had been awaiting. He was proclaiming that his job as Messiah was to care for the poor, to bring freedom to all who experienced oppression, to heal the sick, to proclaim God's forgiveness. This was why the Father sent him. This was his mission. As the Father has sent me, so I send you, Jesus said. You see, Jesus's mission is now our mission too. I'm also reminded of that famous passage in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God sent Jesus to save the world from eternal death, that all may know love and forgiveness and new life. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so I am sending you. So you see, this is our mission now, too. We are Christ's hands and feet now. The ones whom Jesus has commissioned to carry on his work, to carry on God's mission, to bring the whole world into loving harmony with God and one another. We are not sent to condemn the world, but to love the world in such a way that people will see God's love through us. This is the message that Jesus proclaimed to his fearful, grieving, socially distanced disciples. And then Jesus did something very peculiar. The story continues. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Into that tense room, where it was hard to breathe, Jesus breathed the breath of life. Jesus gave them divine permission to breathe. Do you remember back in Genesis, the story of how God created the first humans? After creating the heavens and the earth, scripture tell us, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Did you know that in the biblical Hebrew of the Old Testament and the biblical Greek of the New Testament, breath and spirit are the same word. God breathed into the first man the breath of life, the spirit of life. And the man was the first to be alive in God's creation. Here in John chapter 20, Jesus breathed into the first Christians the Holy Spirit. And they were be the first to be made alive in the new creation. 
the new world that Jesus's resurrection had inaugurated. This was a moment of divine rebirth. It was a moment of transformation because the disciples were finally able to breathe as new creation, to breathe in the truth of who they are, God's beloved, to breathe in the truth of who they were created to be, ambassadors of Christ's kingdom of love and hope and forgiveness. This was their divine permission to breathe, and it changed them forever. They entered social isolation days before as people who were afraid, broken, and despairing, and they emerged after this moment as entirely different people. They emerged as people who were ready and empowered to change the world with Jesus. Because once they breathed in the spirit of Christ, the spirit made a home within them and their life was never the same. Each of us began the month of March pre-social distancing as certain people. We were doing some things well, and of course we were doing some things not so well. There were some ways we were growing with Christ, and there were some ways that we were turning from God, and then suddenly, life as we knew it came crashing down around us. So here we are, <clears throat> behind closed doors with the disciples, wondering what to do next. We entered our homes weeks ago as one kind of person, and this passage urges us to consider who God is calling us to be when we reemerge into society after this time. Who will God need us to become? Because when we emerge from these moments of isolation, there will be a changed world around us. And Jesus will send us into that world to love it, to heal it, to transform it, just as the Father sent him, so he will send us. Who does Jesus need us to become? Just as Jesus breathed new life into the disciples to prepare them for the ministry ahead of them, what kind of new life is Jesus breathing into us? Because Jesus is there with us in all of it. Jesus is standing with you behind your closed doors in some mystical way. Jesus is proclaiming peace into your chaos. Jesus is showing you his wounds and reminding you of his ability to overcome suffering and death. Jesus is breathing his life into you, asking you to receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus is preparing you to be transformed. But transformation will not happen without our consent. God's new life will not flow into us without our participation. Remember what Jesus told his disciples, receive 
the Holy Spirit. In other words, accept the Holy Spirit, embrace the Holy Spirit in order for us to carry on the mission of Jesus in these days, we need to invite the Spirit of God to change us, just as the Spirit of God changed the disciples. We need to let the Spirit of God transform us from who we were into who God needs us to become. And you know, we need to give ourselves permission to do nothing but breathe in the presence of the one who gives us breath. So that's what I did this week. I sat with my new timer and as I watched the sand steadily fall through this timer, I focused on simply breathing as my friend gave me permission to do. And as I did this, I remembered whose breath animates my lungs. I remembered that God's breath flows in and out of me, in and out, just as God's breath flowed in and out of Jesus, so it flows in and out of me, blessing me so that I can bless others, giving life to me so that I can help others find the abundant life there is in Christ. Perhaps that's what the disciples realized as Jesus's breath brushed over their faces. Perhaps that's what they needed to learn in order to receive the Holy Spirit. Perhaps it's what we need to learn too. In my care package, my friend shared a prayer that has stuck with me all week. It's called A Prayer in Times of Chaos, and it comes from a book called We Pray With Her. And I offer it to you now in hopes that it will give you permission to simply breathe in the loving presence of God's Spirit. Let us pray. Make my heart and my feet be still, O Rock and Redeemer. The world around me continues in chaos. I cannot claim control over it. Instead, remind me of the breath of life that flows in me, in and out, in and out, in and out continuously. O rock and redeemer, you are here within me, around me, always. Thank you. Amen.